Welcome to episode 246 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast, where you always find enthusiastic, data-driven, and uh, fantasy analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. This is edition number 150. That's right, 150 of Bubba and the Batflip. I'm coming at you with our outfield preview or re-preview um, as we get closer to the season. So hope you enjoy it. Hope your drafts are going well. Hope your research is going well. Let's get this party started. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 150, continuing our positional reviews for the 2023 fantasy baseball season, heading to the outfield on tonight's episode, maybe talk a little barf as well, all that fun stuff. You can check me out on Twitter at BDintrick, and my co-host is always on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Toby, how we doing, my friend? I do it pretty well, Bubba, I was saying beforehand, daylight savings time has just really destroyed me. Um, I'm exhausted, but... Um, yeah, I just, I know that everybody tuned in for a fantasy baseball podcast, but this is going to be an anti-daylight savings time. This is really an anti-spring forward. Can't we always just fall back? <laughs> Can't we always just fall back? I, I think, I think we're done doing it, aren't we? Isn't that like the last hurrah or I don't know. I don't know. I think I read something that it's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's gone, yeah. but, um, no, it was great. We had the barf draft on Saturday. That was a lot of fun. It was great to see you. We got to have a chance to hang out in our little um corner over there so it was it was fantastic i'm feeling good yeah it was fun it was we got uh what about 10 11 of us out of the league there drafting live that was fun seeing some familiar faces and some new faces that we hadn't seen in a while we had our little corner missing eno that was the only part of the corner mm -hmm. that was missing but uh typical draft where you had one pick right next to me so that was fun just the entire draft yeah. we kept that we kept the turn moving quick that was the goal that we kept the turn moving. I, I i think we did a good job of staying out of each other's way for the most part i think there yeah. was maybe one towards the end where you got me i can't remember um oh yeah i, I know who it was. i actually it was two people i'm kind of angry now uh oh Jeez. who are they let's let's talk who, who are the no, two no, guys no. Oh, just um, I was uh, if you'll remember in my draft, I didn't draft an outfielder till the 13th round. Yeah. So I was in rough shape. So I was trying to cobble it together. Um, I like Jose Siri. I like Avi Garcia. Those are the, those are the two ones that I was referencing right there. But I also like the guys that I got. I got um, uh, Mankata there. This is round 20 and, and Matt's at, at, in round 21, I think. So yeah. Um, yeah, so that was enjoyable. It was kind of like it was a weird draft for me because, as people know or, and consistently remind me, um, I do pocket aces. Um, but I didn't do that. I only had that one. Um, I only had I drafted Garrett Cole because he was there at fourteen. Um, and but I but I didn't draft another pitcher until round six, I think, um, and only had three starters through fifteen. So I was really kind of focused on starters and outfielders there for a, for a little bit, um, trying to kind of fill in. So it was good, though. It was fun. 
Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was definitely a different draft for myself as well. Uh, drafting 15th. I even told you when we were walking from the parking garage, I'm like, I hate this pick. I don't want this pick. This is not what I want like for prepping and everything. But it worked out. A lot of similar like thoughts to you is I had two outfielders early, but then I didn't really draft another one until around 13. I had two, three starting pitchers through uh, nine rounds. First one was taken in round five. Didn't take another starting pitcher till round 18. From round 18 on, it was all all pitchers and outfielders for me. So it was definitely a different draft. But all in all, I'm actually kind of happy with it, especially for a 15-team league. Got some depth. We'll see how it uh, plays out. But uh, what's your overall thoughts on your squad? Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Um, it. It was something different, which was fun. And, I, I mean, you got – you got cease at seven at 75 as your sp1 i mean that's kind of yeah. uh ridiculous if you think about it mm-hmm. um yeah for me it was really like an opportunity to get some players that i don't have quite yet like i got i got boba who i don't have i have matt olson which was a little bit different than i usually do it but um you know ended up doing doing well i've mentioned before i'm really trying to kind of keep it more of an open mind this year in terms of players and, and kind of trusting values. And obviously I do my own analysis and I just look at uh, my sheet and, you know, make picks based on that. But it, it's, it's been an interesting experience to kind of build teams like that and realize that, yeah, there is, there is more flexibility than I think that I've, um, I've been, I've mentioned it before. Like, I think I'm pretty rigid, like in my drafting in the past and I can see that I can be more flexible and still build teams that I really like. And I think that's, that that was really helpful. I think that's one thing that's been helpful about the few, first few drafts I've done. You know, I did TGFBI, I did this, I did the DCs. I imagine there's only a few players where I have multiple shares of them across those those teams, just because I'm trying to figure out and finagle and and see kind of what what things can look like for some of the bigger drafts down down the road. So I really enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, I'm in a similar boat. A lot of guys I usually don't have a share of or. I, I don't want like I even I did like a fades episode recently and like I'm not in on Jazz Chisholm but he's at the end of round three so I was like okay I'll take him at pick 45 that sounds great you mentioned Dylan Cease I like, don't want anything to do with Dylan Cease but a pick 75 that's like 30 almost 40 picks past his ADP all right we're gonna talk talk shop there uh, Kyle Wright was new for me I jumped way up for Rowdy Telez but apparently I, he was gonna be gone pretty quickly if I didn't so yeah. that was um, one of those things that I just started kind of at, at that point it was like just go get my guys fill my roster out and make things work so in the end I was overall uh, pretty happy with it but yeah definitely some different uh different a different build compared to normal but it, it has the depth where i need it and uh, at least i think i need it uh, I, have, I have a lot of relievers that's kind of part of the plan going in with the uh, the kind of shortened week is take those relievers and then build from there so we'll see how that plays out as well should be a fun league should like always barf is fun we, we need to do a lot better than a second to last in the earth uh rankings according to you justin mason but uh shout out to justin mason it was fun between me and you, Toby, just hearing him tilt as one of us would take his picks over and over again. And it, it was pretty glorious to say the least. For sure. Yeah. Actually, I was drafting based on um, Justin's ADP. I was just <laughs> solely my my one purpose for the draft was just to take all his players. No, I'm looking at your team. You've got a lot of really nice guys on there, um, you know, that I like a lot as well. So not just those two that I mentioned, but, you know, um, some really nice pieces you got there towards the, towards the back end. I feel like I was a little, I got a little loose towards the end. Like one of my picks, 
my round 27 pick has already been demoted to AAA, Christian and Encarnacion yeah. Strand. Obviously, you know, you're kind of hoping for something, but in a fab league, it's like, does that really make sense? Like, I'm not going to hold on to him, you know, like um, he'll be gone with the first web fab period before the season even starts. So feels like a little bit of a wasted pick there. And I, I picked Zach Veen towards the end and I was kind of like, I don't think there's any shot that he's really going to make the club either. So I'm kind of like, and eh, maybe it's one of those situations where you're hoping to get a little lucky with something like that. But I think there's enough talent there that you need to be a little bit more judicious and in making some of those picks. So I think there was a couple of mistakes on my end there. Cause I look at who some other people drafted and I'm like, ah, I should have, I could have gone in that direction instead. So, oh, well, no, you still can make it work. And those are the times to take chances, you took chances there. Like in round 26, you got Brad Boxberger, your guy who's already been announced as the co-closer with Fulmer. So, Oh, has that, has was, that been announced? That was announced today on the athletic. Uh, oh, like really? If, yeah. Like if that was announced on say Friday, he probably goes a lot sooner than round 26. Huh. So there, there's a win for you. you Guess what? Guess what? I knew that was going to happen. You want to know why? You want to know why? Because people love the box gifts. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? More box, box like people love the box gifts. People love names where yeah. all you got, all you need is emojis. You don't need letters. Letters are such a like ridiculous concept. If you think about it, like you got to throw, what is that? B O X B. I think he's an E R G E R E R G E R. That's nine letters that you got to throw together. I got two emojis I can put together and, and say the same thing. Um, and so that for me is, is really efficiency, um, you know, personified. But that's nice to see that that happened. I've, I've got him um, in a few other places as well. I got him in TGFBI too, and I only drafted one closer there. So it's nice to have a little bit of, of that support um, there already on that team. Uh, why I really messed up towards the back end is because when you when you run the fantasy pros after the draft, oh, no. you know, I lost to Sammy Reed. Sammy Reed had a 97, I think, Can't or like a 99. A 98 A plus, I think, and I got like a 94 A or 93 A, and it's all because of that back end of that draft where I was just kind of taking shots. Um, there was a while looking at Jake Crumpler's deal, and you were like dominating the draft, like crushing us. I know it's yeah, really I, quite it's quite sad when you think about it. Like I've already lost in a way, you know. I I'm not I'm not the preseason. I'm not like North Carolina to talk a little, you know, men's college basketball. Like I'm not the preseason. AP number one, you know? So can I really go coast to coast? Can I really go start to finish? It's no, hard. it's too late. Yeah. I just looked. I got a C from Fantasy Pros. I'm expected to finish 10th in our league. So that's that makes me feel good, actually. I think I like things to, to look that direction. Um, one thing I did want to mention is uh, Richard Sands was in our draft. He took Carlos Rodon at 109. For those wondering where, mm-hmm. you know, obviously it's just one draft. He's going to go in many other places, but that was the first draft I took part of after the injury, and he fell to 109. Um, still a little rich for me, but that's probably close to where he's going to be going. That's probably about right, uh, all things considered. Uh, other than that, it was kind of business as usual. Some guys were going high, obviously, just because that's what happens in these drafts. Some go low. Um, we did see a massive pitching run in rounds three and four. That was a very, very popular situation. Uh, anything else that kind of stood out to you at all uh, with this draft? No, not really. Um, yeah, I think it was it was an interesting draft because it felt like 
pitching was a little slow to go off, but then when it did go off, it was gone pretty early. And so, you know, I've, we've been using DC ADP and stuff like that, I think, to run a lot of the drafts. And, you know, you could use online, uh, you could use online championship as well, but it's a 12. And so that really impacts as well, like team construction and closers and things like that. So it's hard to get it right. And so in a fab draft, it was interesting to see how pitching was moving up there. Again, not necessarily towards the front end. Um, you know, like in the second round, the first pitcher didn't go until um, pick. 26 um you know so those are just some examples that was interesting to me to to start to get in that in that level of comfort with taking those those starters that you were normally getting in you know say round 12 you're now jumping those up to round 10 or you know um that's gonna happen and the shift is gonna be pretty dramatic i think and so just trying to be prepared for that i think is important Yep, most definitely. So yeah, it was fun. It was a definite learning experience in this draft to get things going. Like Abby Rushman went before Will Smith and Salvi Perez. That was a a little bit of a, a surpriser there. Uh, Toby got his two catchers early. If anybody's curious, that did happen, um, as we would expect from Mister uh, Toby over there. Yeah, other than that, I guess business as usual type deal. But uh, definitely some interesting pockets that um, you can see here. And if you guys want to see the boards and everything, just let us know or go check out Justin's feed. He did a live live feed of the draft. It's over there and uh, get all the goodies to, to check it out. And and I have been using OC ADP for a lot of my analysis. We're still using DC for this to keep it fifteen team. But the OCs, it's crazy because like we're tonight for outfield. We're using March sixth to March fourteenth. There's been eight DCs finished. In that same time period in OCs, there's been 22. Wow. So, yeah, That's it's wild. different because they're doing so many live drives, like three or four a day almost. It's uh, it's, it's pretty crazy, all things uh, considered there. But uh, let's talk outfield. Let's review our preview of the outfield here. Uh, any initial changes to your thoughts on attacking the outfield in drafts? I know you just talked about how you didn't take – like your outfield was so depleted until later in the draft in this one. Is there an idea of maybe attacking it sooner? How are you going about the outfield? Yeah, I think outfield is uh, outfield's kind of uh, well, like I, it's kind of tough, and I only say that because I do think that it's pretty well priced um, throughout the draft. I think there's some pockets of players who maybe should be doing better um, or should be going a little bit higher, but again, it's hard to identify the players that they should really be going higher than. You know, I really like the the top two outfielders and Ronald Acuna and Aaron Judge. I think. You know, Acuna is kind of my one, my one, one most likely um, if I were to get that. And, you know, yeah, he's, you know, I, I just think there's potential for the, for a real big year there um, for him. Uh, Judge, the projections love Judge. You know, they have him as the second ranked player. So in terms of outfielders, I mean, Tucker going early or J-Rod, like, you know, he's, he's a little mispriced according um, to my values, but you know, Jordan's right there. Soto's a little mispriced, but still at top 15. So there's all these, um, yeah, there's all these players that I think are, yeah, really good at the top and you can't really go wrong necessarily with them. And then I, I'm, and then, and then there's a little bit more red on the spreadsheet. And so it really is like kind of these pockets where some guys are maybe standing out a little bit, um, you know, in different spots in the draft, but it's, it's a little gnarly. Um, honestly, like I find it hard. I find myself in some instances, like, uh, you know, like with, with Barf, like where I didn't have any outfielders through round 10 and I was really just kind of going value 
um, picking. And, you know, there's, there's something to be said for that, right? Like just kind of taking the value that's on the board, but you know, those guys, even though they show up as values, you're a little, you're a little less sure about what type level of value that they're going to provide to you. So, um, yeah, so I think it's just a matter of kind of attacking some of those pockets of, of again, quote unquote, um, value where maybe the projections seem to be a little bit higher than, um, the market is on, on different players. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my approach has been to focus more on those, those areas and kind of take what the draft gives me. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And it, you definitely did that at barf and I'm trying to get one or two early, kind of like I did in barf and then I can piece it together later. I'm not forcing the hand. Like I did one, one, uh, I think it was DC or something. And I had like four outfielders early and then it just, it doesn't hamstring you in a, in a fab league, but it's like, uh, like I did like an example would be with Ryan. He did his tout wars draft. He had five outfielders in the first 10 rounds. It really makes it difficult when you're drafting later on to like, it forces you not to take an outfielder essentially because you're already full in a fab league. So you have to um, avoid those pockets. Like you're saying where you could have got some value. Now you're taking other positions. So like usual, it's the, the easy answer is no, the player pool. That's just kind of how it goes. But there is something to it. Like you have this like really good range, like you mentioned, then a, then a pretty good range, then a good range. And it's just like, is it worth taking one of those ranges instead of another position type thing? And, and then maybe take two of the potential values later type thing instead of a shortstop then or something, something along those lines. That That's the name of the game. So I think those elite ones are just so, so elite. That's why I'm trying to make sure I get a, one or two of those top-end outfielders. And then I'm cool with just kind of just playing the game, kind of playing chicken almost throughout a lot of the middle of the draft and see where it goes and fill, fill the rest of my roster probably before then. We'll see. We'll see. Every draft is different. Every spot of the draft is different. Things will fall to you. Like you had Bichette fall to you at pick 17. That's pretty darn awesome. Like things I had, you know, I had C's fall to 75. Like there's things that'll change your, your mindset on who you're taking and it could totally change the entire game plan. But for now I'm trying to leave with the, some outfielders early if I can, that's kind of, kind of the, the plan of attack. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one thing I think I've said that I'm trying to do differently. I'm trying to be a little position agnostic in the sense that like, you know, I want to play, take the best player. So like if I'm taking two middle infielders, you know, before I'm taking outfielders and that's fine. Right. Um, and so when, when, when I find that happening, honestly, like I end up having a pretty limited number, number of outfielders early on, but I did enjoy building with, with judge. Um, you know, uh, that was, that it was fun to start off that way. As long as you can piece together pitching, you know? And that that's the thing is, is I'm with you on, you know, being, you know, position agnostic, but there's just the way you can build your team with one of the big boys is, is a different animal uh, in, in the situation. But I'm kind of with you. Like I did take my, my two early, but you know, in the old days, I would have made sure to get like a third by like round twelve, or like I would have been like so focused on getting more outfielders. Right? I said, you know what, that's guy's not what I want right here. It's not going to fit. Let's go take this guy instead, and so on and so forth, and and uh, see see where it goes. So I'm with you there. Yeah, you were much more agnostic than I was, but it worked out. So <laughs> it's a it, it's a beautiful thing. There is a lot of those kind of like ten to fifteen home run, ten to fifteen stolen base guys later on that you can kind of piece it together with if, if you hit it just right maybe move them up around or two if you have to but you can definitely piece it together and uh, see what happens Perfect. all right let's do some adp debates over the last i mentioned eight days there's been eight drafts eight dcs 
taking place. And I just got a you know a handful throughout the draft here. First one I have is Mookie Betts. He's the fifth outfielder off the board at pick nine and a half. Juan Soto, the sixth outfielder off the board at pick 10. So they're going right next to each other in drafts. Kind of similar profiles, but also kind of different profiles. Juan Soto coming off a rough season, especially when he went to San Diego. You know, Mookie Betts coming off a phenomenal MVP-like season in Los Angeles, but a different Los Angeles lineup exists now around him. How do you look at Mookie Betts versus Juan Soto? Yeah, I mean they're back. They're right next to each other in in uh, the ADP ADP spreadsheet um, as um, as as not good values early on. Not guys you should be drafting. Um, I, I like bets here um, a lot more. Um, when I think about um, yeah, I just think uh, I like the context. I like the skills um, a little bit more. Um, I think with Soto, there's been a pretty wide uh, variance in terms of like the batting average um, that he's producing. Um, I think uh, Mookie at the top of um, his lineup. Uh, Soto walks a lot, which is great for his runs, but it it can sometimes limit a little bit, you know, the balls that he's putting in play and um, some of the counting stats, I think, as a result of that. Um, so, you know, I'm probably not taking either one of them. I, I think if I did take one of them, it would probably be um, Mookie, just because he has um, provided such um, consistently fantastic value. I think, you know, as much as you want to buy into or not buy into the the driveline narrative, if you will, um, I do think that there's something to be said for a guy who's already won some MVPs and is trying to improve or at least listening to his team that wants him to improve in some areas and so i think he's a guy who i feel really good he's the he's been announced as the leadoff hitter i feel like you're gonna get a crap ton of runs from him you know that power whether or not he can um you know kind of kind of uh work that power anymore i think is you know like whether he's gonna be able to repeat on the power front is one question but um i think the speed there with the new stolen steals rules Will help him out a lot and one thing with soto is like uh, right field is not a great like he's kind of gotten the double whammy of like the new ball doesn't travel as well to the opposite field or center field where he's got a lot of his power and and san diego is one of the worst left-handed hitting power parks in all of baseball and so i think for those some of those contextual factors i would go with mookie but you know you can see clearly why people are interested in them they're both pretty much top 15 guys so um if you like them, do it. Yeah, it's definitely a grasping at straws to, to kind of make a pick between these two. But if I had to pick the two, I'm picking Mookie as well. Um, I think there's more consistent power, possibly, even though Soto on a ceiling year would have more. Uh, the batting average, I feel much more comfortable with Mookie. Uh, the run scored, much more comfortable with Mookie. It's just Mookie also, I think he's going to take a step back from this past year. Like He was so good this past year. Uh, it's the first time he's ran like he did in a while. Like, is that a sustainable thing? Maybe it is in this new environment. Who knows? That That's something to, to wonder about. But the average, uh, uh, you know, in his career is even a little farther down. So he had a great year. Phenomenal year. Uh, still going to be good. He's a top 15 guy, like you said. The thing with Soto is his ceiling is like a top three pick. But we've seen his floor be like a second to third round turn pick. It's been a, a wide variance, as you mentioned. And the walks in a real life sense and an OBP sense is outstanding, but that's the biggest bugaboo I have. Just like you says, that's fewer home runs, fewer RBIs, like stuff like that. The average, you know, 
technically doesn't get changed at all. So it's good and bad, I guess. What do you look at it? So like grasping at straws, I got Mookie over Soto for pretty much the same reasons you do. Um, I'm probably not taking either, as you said. Like I'm still a guy that believes Jordan's going to be fine. I'll take the 40 home run dude that hits almost 300. Like I'll take that dude and figure out my steals later if I need. You to. took him in the yeah, draft. I did. I, I I plant my flag on that one. I love. I have a lot of Jordan shares, so I'm like uh, I'm still believing that he's going to be fine. We're going to see. It could be a completely disastrous situation, but. Um, that that's just a game changer type bat with a guy like Jordan. He's an Aaron judge that doesn't steal bases. It's the way I look at it. And that's uh obviously steals is big. That's a very big factor in Aaron judge. I'm not going to discount that, but Jordan can put up those kind of numbers. Vlad Guerrero type guy. Like it's a, uh, it's pretty impressive. So yeah, it'd be bets over Soto for me, but probably not getting either one of them to tell you the truth. Like I'd almost even do what you did. I would take uh, Garrett Cole over those two. If I had the choice in that scenario, um, if if it came down to it, so yeah, same for me. All yeah. right, this he's one gotta, he's got to do more yoga. More uh, yoga, that's the key. Your dog. Yoga, yoga yeah. narrative that would help him a ton. I'm telling you, it'd be it'd be beautiful. Sure. Um, this one I'm really curious to see where it goes. I have a hunch, but we'll see. Uh, Cedric Mullins, 15th outfielder out the board, picked 51.5. Corbin Carroll, everyone's favorite new toy, 16th outfielder at pick 55. So going right around each other. Both have like this little power and speed situation, like the hype train behind Carroll. Then you got Mullins two years ago, 30-30, still had a really good year last year. How do you look at Mullins versus Corbin Carroll? Yeah, I don't want either one of them, um, honestly. Um, I'm, I hope Cor- Carroll goes super early just because, you know, it's harder to return value on that if he does do well. Um you know, I think we put way too much stock in kind of like hitting performances, you know, especially this year, like, you know, um, I see all these tweets about like Carol's like maxi V and, um, I see it about his, uh, speed and like, none of that has changed from last year. Like he had those same skills, you know, when he was in, um, the major leagues last year. So, it's just easier pitching that he and everybody else is facing and even easier pitching than you would traditionally see during spring training, because so many of the the top starters and even bullpen arms are, um, are playing in the WBC. So I'm not, I'm not really sure that what, how we feel about him should change necessarily. There's obviously um, the contract that he signed, which, you know, kind of guarantees that the guy is going to get everyday playing time. And I think that's great, but given the injury history, like, can you really project him for more than 550 plate appearances, particularly the way he plays, um, where he plays? Um, it feels a little bit um, rash to put him above that. And then when you look at all of the projections from, you know, Steamer, which is usually glowing on prospects to, um, you know, any any system, really, you look at it. And I think they are, even with more than 550 plate appearances they're projecting like the the most the most um not uh the most the least conservative projection is zips right now at 580 plate appearances 253 16 home runs and 20 steals now he could you know he could obviously like go through that it's projections have missed plenty on rookies they've also gotten a lot of rookies right and i think oftentimes we remember the ones that they got um they got uh, uh, wrong as opposed to the ones that they necessarily, um, got right. But, you know, when I look at like what the projections say, I mean, Cedric Mullins, I like for me really would be the case here. The spreadsheet actually really likes him. I don't, 
I don't like him that much, but it has him as the 33rd best player um, at going at an ADP of 50. And all of the projections, so you plug in zips at, at its most, its, its um, strongest projection at 16 home runs and 20 steals, right? Over 580 plate appearances. Like that's 14 fewer steals than Mullins got last year and just as much power. Um, and so Mullins has kind of been there, already done that. And he's also plays in a better hitting environment for lefties. Uh, Chase Field, I think, plays as one of the worst hitting parks at this point in time. Like we all remember that Corbin Carroll, like 109 mile per hour laser to dead center that hits off, uh, hits off the wall. So for me, I'd go Mullins here. I'm not really interested in either one um, at this spot, but um, I would go Mullins pretty easily over Carroll. Yeah, it's Mullins for me, and I like Carroll a lot. I liked him a lot when he wasn't around pick 50, uh, when he was like in the 65 to 70 range. It was a little more attractive to me. Uh, pick 50 is tough because I've either already had Randy Rosarena early, so I don't really need to do this, or I like said Mullins, or I'll take Adelise Garcia a little later on. That's kind of like my three dudes where I'm trying for the power speed outfielder if you don't get one of the first ones. But I do like Cedric. Um it's not easy to find a 30-plus stolen base guy as you go through the draft like this. He's one of the last guys you can get there. There still might be 20 home runs in that bat, if not 15, which is not bad. But if you can get a 20-30 dude here, which would be really good, this Baltimore lineup's getting better and better. So I think the run scored at the top of that order could be pretty nice. I know there was some platoon concerns with him uh, last season. I'm not going to buy into that too much if he's still hitting. He it was it was late in the year. Who knows what it was for? I don't know. There's no rhyme or reason when you're the Baltimore Orioles and he's one of your best players. I, I know he can't hit lefties great, but it doesn't make sense to me to take him out of the lineup, put him down in the order or something. You can still still have him out there. But um, with Carroll, it's just it's a large amount of variance with him. The talent's elite. He's like the number one prospect in most prospects uh, reports. That's, that's true. Uh, there's a power speed there. But how well will that develop? You mentioned the ballpark. Um, this D-backs team is going to be better this year, but how good are they going to be? What's the protection like around them? Is it gonna be, are they going to trade guys? There's a lot of questions in Arizona, a lot of them. Uh, so for me, I'm going with Cedric Mullins as well. Corbin Carroll could easily prove us both wrong. There's no doubt about that. He is that talented. It's just going to take a heck of a season. I think the steals will be there. The power is what I'm kind of still not believing to be there full-time with Carroll. Could be totally wrong. I'll take the L on that if I am. But give me said Mullins as well. Big Big Cedric Mullins fans, especially uh, in that realm, if you can get him after a guy like Corbin Carroll. All right, we got a three-pack here. We got Eloy Jimenez, 18th outfielder off the board at pick 71. George Springer, the 19th outfielder at pick 76. And Teoscar Hernandez, the 20th outfielder around pick 79. So you got these three guys going between pick 70 and 80. And um, a lot of similarities to me in these three guys. So uh, how do you look at Eloy, Springer, and Teoscar? Yeah, really, this is like a two-player debate for me, um, mostly. Who's the, between, who's the one you're out on? Uh, I'm out on um, Eloy. Eloy, I'm not not super interested in Eloy. Obviously, we have the kind of the history of injury concerns. And again, like players are not injured until they're injured. But the most played appearances we've seen from him in a single season now is like 504. Right. So like we don't even know how his body holds up over the course of a full season. Um, when you look at like, let's say you combine the last two seasons to give him 550 plate appearances, 
you have like about a 270 batting average, 26 home runs, 63 runs, uh, 91 RBI, which is certainly like pretty decent, but it's a pretty heavy on the counting stats profile for me, and particularly in RBI. Um, whereas with Springer and um, and uh, Teoscar, I think you're getting a much more well-rounded profile with the new, new stolen base rules. You know, you could see both of them taking a little bump up. They're not elite steals guys, but you can definitely see them going you know, um, into double digits, maybe even, you know, uh, 15 or so steals for either one of them. I know that Teoscar's sprint speed has held up really well. Um, for Springer, you know, he's going to provide, he's going to provide pretty much everything, you know, and obviously he's had some injury issues as well, but um, I think you've seen a lot more consistency from him throughout his career. He's at the top of a really good lineup. Um, and so I think that's a really like pretty optimal space that he's in right there. I think similarly with Teoscar, he's not at the top of that lineup, but he's right in the middle of it. I think Seattle is underrated as a home run ballpark. Um, it doesn't play great as like a run scoring environment. Generally, it's pitcher friendly, but it does provide enough home runs. So I don't necessarily think Teoscar is going to be hurt by that. He was really good when he came back from injury. So I'm not really concerned that there's been like a precipitous fall um, in um, some of the skills there. So I think with either one of them, they both show up as like decent values, like nothing out of this world, you know, Springer player 68 to Oscar player 70, um, you know, when they're going at the ADPs that you mentioned before. So slight values, uh, I've drafted to Oscar once I haven't gotten Springer yet. So it's just a matter of kind of what I'm looking for at this point in the draft. But this is kind of that window where that window opens for some outfielders that seem to be undervalued a little bit uh, by the market. Yeah. For me, it's, it's actually, it's a close three. Like Eloy would be my third, which stinks because back in November, I was all about, you know, the way he played in the second half when he came back from injury, when he was strictly the DH, he just tore up everything. If he DHs again, that's also promising of course, but you know, like you said, do you want to take the chance? Like he's going to be awesome. He's not going to run at all. Zero running options at all with Eloy. It's been proven throughout his career. He will not run, but when you talk about these three guys, probably the best batting average out of the three, the dude just hits for average, like really good batting average. Um, so there, there is a lot to like there. I think it's very interesting. But for me, it's Teoscar at number one. I think like this is a dude we used to take in like what, round three or four maybe in the past. Like when he was coming off that monster year, his ADP was a, a bit higher than this. Let's put it that way. Um, I love Teoscar. I think he's still got the 25 plus home runs in that bat. He had 25 last year in a short season. Maybe he gets you 30. Like that's big. I think he gets back to running more this year off the injury. He's looked great. This, this, you know, between the WBC and spring looks healthy. That's all you can ask for. He's going to hit for average. There's just a ton to like there, especially in that uh, Seattle lineup. It's going to be very, very good. I'm not worried about him going to that ballpark. We've seen guys like Mitch Hanniger still hit 30 plus home runs and stuff. So I'm not worried about T. Oscar having issues there. So um, I'm a big, big fan of, of T. Oscar this year. As long as like, all these guys, it's the fun part about all three, they all have injury concerns. They've all like shown the propensity to get hurt once in a while. It's like some goofy stuff. So T. Oscar's one for me. Springer's two. And Springer's a guy that, you know, 25 and 14 last year was awesome. 267, pretty much hit 265 three straight years. So that's kind of the wheelhouse he's starting to go into, it looks like. But, you know, 20 plus home runs back to back seasons, that works. If we can stay healthy, played 133 games last year. That's the most since 2018, though. So that's kind of a, you know, wait and see situation. 
But whenever he's played at least 120 games, he gets you over 20 home runs, over five steals. Maybe he runs even more at 14 steals last year, as I think uh, uh, the most is 2015. So it might be a little more than you'd want, but 25 and 10, hitting 260, not bad. I still like T. Oscar over George Springer with Eloy coming in third, and that just hurts to say because I think he's legit a, a, a beast, but uh, the lack of steals will kind of take him down for me. But, uh, yeah, T. Oscar, George, Eloy for me in that order. All right, a fun one here. We got Tyler O'Neill at uh, ADP 107, 25th outfielder. And then one of the fun new toys that everybody likes, Taylor Ward, the 26th outfielder at pick 108. It's going about a pick, pick and a half apart right now. How do you look at Tyler O'Neill and Taylor Ward? Yeah, um, I lean towards O'Neill in this one for sure. Um, you know, it's like yoga, we need the yoga narrative again. Um, you know, for, for our buddy, Tyler O'Neill, I really hope he's, he's been doing some stretching instead of some weightlifting, um, in the off season, but, you know, even in a bad year last year with Tyler O'Neill, you pretty much got 15, 15 in a, in a pretty considerably shortened season. Um, so I feel like the floor is actually pretty high for him. Um, he's a gold glove, glove caliber outfielder as well. So he's providing a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of job security there. I think the discussion within the Cardinals to me, seems much more like what positions our player is going to play as opposed to, you know, whether Tyler O'Neill is going to play on a regular basis or not. Um, so I really like him. He shows up as a really good value um, in the spreadsheet, um, which, you know, I, I always love to see. Um, with Taylor Ward, he's interesting because I think he's one of the ones where I, I really do like him a lot. You know, I think everybody's very clearly pointed out about how, you um, how Taylor Ward, you know, really struggled because of the injury and, you know, um, before and then after, and once he felt better, he was a much better player. He's got incredibly good uh, plate discipline. He's got um, really good contact skills. He makes really high quality contact. He's going to be hitting lead off in that really nice um, lineup that they have there, at least top end of that lineup with the angels. So I think he's in a, in a position to succeed pretty considerably. So, I can see why they're going pretty close to one another. Um, I think kind of the power speed combo of, of O'Neill um, puts it in his favor for me, but I can see where people can see Ward being that guy that kind of takes that next step. And maybe with a little bit of speed with, with the change in the, in the steel rules. Yeah, this one's, this one's close for me. I've been leaning Ward in drafts. I have both. I have shares of both. Um, I like what we saw from Ward last year. Everything you mentioned, what people are talking about, you know, his on-base skills are even good. It walked over 10%, which was nice. Hitting at the top of that Angels lineup that, you know, God forbid, Mike Trout just stays healthy for a full season. And some of these other guys, like, the lineup's much better than it has been in a long time. So you give me like two 275-ish average with 20-plus home runs, maybe 25-plus homers, and maybe he runs into 10 stolen bases. I love that from Taylor Ward. I think that, that's a really possible situation with him. The flip side, you mentioned with Tyler O'Neill, year removed from 34, 15, and 286. That's outstanding. Watching the batting average drop last year, like 5%, and the, the walk rate jump, like almost 3% from 2021, is promising. The injuries were just horrible. Still slow 14 bags, like you mentioned, which was nice. I guess the biggest concern I have with O'Neill, and it's probably just petty concern, but there's a lot of outfielders in St. Louis right now. A lot of outfielders in St. Louis. Like, the fact he's even competing for a job, I know he's playing for Canada right now in the WBC, but 
Like they're saying the center field's up to him and Carlson. Like, are we really talking about that? Is that really an option? Like, how is Carlson platooning with anybody named Tyler O'Neill? So that's that's crazy to me. Um, I like them both. I'm going to lean Ward in this one. But like I said, I have shares of both. I can see the arguments for both. But uh, give me Taylor Ward. I guess if you want to believe O'Neill's healthy, this is way too low of a pick for him, like you're saying. Uh, I'm with you there. Like, it's way too low. If he plays a full season healthy – you're going to get crazy value at this spot, but uh, I'll take Taylor Ward and just, you know, hope for the best. The next one here, we got uh, two leadoff bats, but our top of the order bats, potentially Stephen Kwan, the 28th outfielder at pick 117 and a half. Jake McCarthy, the 29th outfielder at 119. You know, two guys that uh, run a lot. Stephen Kwan will have an upside in certain things where McCarthy will have upsides in others. So how do you look at Kwan and McCarthy? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I just don't think Quan does does enough, like at this spot, you know, where he steals a decent amount, but not enough, you know, like 19 steals. He's got six home runs. I mean, there's plenty of people going later in drafts that have six home runs and 19 steal potential. <laughs> Excuse me, Baba. Thank you. Um. And so I really think that um, it's too early for him, you know, and I think the difference for, for, for me between him and McCarthy is that McCarthy is a truly elite um, steals guy. You know, um, he's really fast. He's a really good base runner. Um, he, I think, is a player who is, um, you know, he's not, he doesn't have a ton of power, but he's going to get double digit home runs. And, you know, people talk about like, oh, he's, you know, doesn't have this great barrel rate or anything. Yeah, I mean, that's totally true. But Stephen Kwan has the, one of the slowest bats in all of baseball. Like if there was a tweet going around from the Sabre conference where they looked at bat speed and Kwan had, was in the bottom five in Major League Baseball for bat speed. So unless there's a dramatic improvement in that underlying skill, I don't think it's changing. He had seven barrels and six home runs, you know, last year, like seven barrels, 1.7 percent barrel rate um, for Quan there. Obviously with the batting average and speed, he's contributing in two um, categories, which is beneficial, but it also might be the two categories that are helped the most by the rules um, this year. And so I think it's less a, a, a story of, do you want McCarthy or do you want Quan here necessarily? But like, there's gotta be uh, better options in my uh, opinion than Stephen Quan um, at this point, um, because he doesn't really like, I guess the batting average would be an elite tool, but um, I don't know. He just doesn't do enough for me. And I think he's the type of player where, um, yeah, I mean, you could very easily see him batting, you know, ninth um, early on in the season if he, if he struggles. Um, so we'll see though. I could, I could definitely be wrong on that one. I mean, you know, he's obviously makes a ton of contact and puts the ball in play. Maybe that with the shift rules, he's hitting 320 instead of, you know, 300 or whatever. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm just not really interested in, in this type of profile necessarily right here. Yeah. Stephen Kwan has my attention. I'll be honest. We're going to differ on this one. I think the, um, a guy that's going to give you at this point in the draft after pick 100, he can get you a, a better than 300 average potentially, especially with the shift rules and whatnot. He could steal your 20 plus bases, which wouldn't surprise me at all. And at the top of that order with J Ram and company could score over hundred runs. That's a category that we just overlooked too many times, the run scored, which, you know, maybe it just happens with a lot of guys. But to be able to get 100 runs scored, hit over 300 and steal over 20 bags, 
I, I think that's a nice little look when you got Jake McCarthy, who, yeah, he ran wild. There's no denying that. He's done that throughout the minors, but no real power either. He's going to hit like third in that lineup. So he's not going to score a ton of runs. He's going to have to hit for average. So it feels like it's like a three to two situation when you look at the stats there. Again, both these guys have a lot of variance in their outcomes when we look at both of them. So it's kind of like find your guy, plant your flag, take who you want situation. I think there's just a lot more to like with Quan as an overall hitter where Jake McCarthy, good. He's good. Don't get me wrong, but I think uh, – and, and, you know, the eight home runs like half a season, so maybe he's a 15-home run guy. I, I could be downplaying that. But um, I, I think Quan still has a, the average, the run scored, and the stolen bases that I'm, I'm a big, big fan of. And so I, I would take him over Jake McCarthy here. I don't really have a ton of either. I think I have Quan in like some best ball OBP formats because I love him in that. He's great in that. But, uh, you know, I'm not running to get him. I'm not running to get either one of these guys, honestly. I'd hope to not be chasing steals already at this point in the draft. But, uh, yeah, it, it happens. So if you are, both of them could give them to you. Maybe McCarthy's your guy. Then if you want steals, maybe he's a 30 steal guy. So that's something to keep in mind. But uh, I'll, I'll take Stephen Quan. All right. This next one. Not the biggest fan of this range, but I'm, I'm curious because uh -huh. some smart people talking about uh, some players here. 30th outfielder off the board, Chris Bryant at 124. 31st outfielder, Anthony Santander at 128.5. And the 32nd outfielder, Nick Castellanos at 132. So they're all going about eight picks apart. How do you look at these three? Man, Chris Bryant, we're still talking about him, huh? Yeah, that's why I don't like this range. I know, but uh, they, the fact they're going close and some smart people are starting to buy in on him. So I wanted to throw him in the mix, basically. Yeah, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, Chris Bryant was my Vlad Jr. before yes. Vlad Jr. He's what happens when you're right on a player, you know, it's just like radio <laughs> silence um, or, or whatever. Uh, I'm not really interested in Chris Bryant. You know, I think he signed with the Rockies and, you know, I, I I don't know. I just think that it's not there uh, with Chris Bryant. Um, uh, Santander, um, I like okay. I think he's going like right about where he should be. Um, if you're looking for a power bat and they disappear pretty quickly, I think you can do a lot worse than Santander. Um, you know, he makes a lot of contact. He could be benefited in the batting average department by the shift changes. And the power is uh, is super legit. He's a switch hitter. He's playing every day. Um, so I feel like Santander of this crew that that you mentioned is the one that I would um, go with. And then with uh, Castellanos, I could definitely see it. I mean, you know, he's been going what, like pick 60, pick 70 the last couple of years, you know, had an injury riddled first season with the Phillies. It's a great lineup. You know, it, it could def you could definitely see it working out um, for um, Castellanos. But I also just think that you know, there's too many years of disappointment um, with Castellanos. Like he's really only produced, let's see, he's, I mean, it's only like one or two years really where he's been able to put it all together um, in a meaningful way. Um, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, Cincinnati, like that Cincinnati year, he had a monster year and then to 2019 year as well with the bouncy ball, you know, was great for him too. Um, you know, I, I guess 27 and 2018 were all right with Detroit as well, but the ball is a different story. You know, he really benefited from that Cincinnati Reds uh, stadium from Great American Small Park. I think we talked about that actually last year in our analysis. We were highlighting the fact that so many of his home runs came at Great American Small Park. Um, and so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not really interested in him. 
there. The spreadsheet doesn't really like him either. Um, so that's enough for me uh, to kind of stay away from him. So I'd go Santander here, but honestly not generally going after um, an outfielder at this point. Yeah, we're on the same boat here. Santander would be my dude because at this point, you got a big time power bat, as you mentioned. There's a few others. There's like the Renfros, the Stantons, uh, some of these guys still out there. But Santander is a legit power bat. You know, we we saw the moonshot live when we were drafting that he hit off of Sandy Alcantara, which is beautiful to see. Like, it doesn't count for our stats, but it was fun to watch. Um, I, I, I do do like Santander if you do need the power there. Casty would be my number two. It hurts me because I have I think I have zero shares of Casty, and I could see him bouncing back because. You know, Great American Small Park is a you know the band box, but Citizens Bank is not that great either. Like it's a good hit, hitter's park as well, and it just feels like you know the first year in Philly, the injuries. Let's bounce back and get good. Still a great lineup to hit in. Um, wouldn't be shocked if he gets back to like twenty five home runs in, in that ballpark. And at that point, that means he's hitting for average, driving in runs, scoring runs. It's, it's a good good value, I think. It's just will he do it? Here's the question. And yes, no Chris Bryant for me. This, that's just a token thing. If he does it, congratulations. Otherwise, I'm good. So yeah, Santander, Casty, be the two I'd be looking at. Last set of ADP debates I have here because we don't want to go all night on these. Um, Masataka Yoshida at pick 206 and Andrew Benintendi at pick 208. To me, there's a lot of similarities potentially here, but I wanted to get your thoughts on this. So uh, how do you see Yoshida versus Benintendi? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a matter of team of the team construction and and risk tolerance. You know, with Yoshida, it looks like the projections think the batting average is going to be there. He's got really great plate skills. He's playing great in the WBC, although it's a little bit challenging right now with just the different differing levels of competition that um, that people are people are facing. I think it's similar to spring training. I mean, that way until we get into like the you know, quarterfinals, quarter semifinals and stuff. And, but then by that time, you're just looking at small samples in a lot of ways. But um, more power, less speed, it seems like in the profile, maybe similar batting average. Uh, whereas with uh, Benintendi, you have, you know, questions obviously about the power potential. He's in a better run environment with with the White Sox, one of the better home run parks. So you're hoping that will help. But we also hope that the, hope that the short porch in Yankee Stadium would help as well. Um, and then you also have the, the steals and, and the question of whether – um, Benintendi can continue to do that uh, along with the batting average. So um, I, I, I like Andrew Benintendi here um, probably more just from a team construction standpoint and where I am. But I certainly feel like and the projections feel like there's a really high um, ceiling um, for Yoshida, which I, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that Benintendi has that anymore. I think we've seen one season where he's kind of been a top 50 player or something. Yeah, that's the fun with this. Like, do we believe Yoshida comes to the U.S. and in his first year just tears the cover off the baseball? If he does, this is a gift. And that's because he could be a, just a monster. His, his average, his OBPs, his power, like he could just – supposed to hit like right around Devers, like right behind, right before Devers in the lineup. Like that's going to pay dividends, of course. Could be monstrous for Yoshida. Where Benny, we kind of know who he is. Good average, going to get you 15-plus steals. Should get you 15 plus. I got 15, 15 dude with 20, 20 potential in that ballpark. Maybe if things really click, I don't know if we'll ever see 20 home runs from him, but if he's ever going to do it, this is the ballpark to do it in. So that'd be the plus for Ben Intendi. I guess it's more of like the, what you know, versus the, what you don't type situation. Like we know who Benny is where Yoshida were just speculating on the guy that's torn up the Japanese baseball, which 
it's good, but we know it's not major league talent. That's been well, well, you know, talked about. So how does that translate? And that's kind of where you, you pick your poison. Like I'll lean Yoshida just because at this point in the draft, I'm willing to take a chance or two. But if you don't want to take a chance, then Benny's totally fine. Like he's one of the guys I kind of mentioned early on in the show that there's 10 to 15 stolen base and power guys later on in the draft. And Benny's one of them easily. Like a guy, he's a guy, if I do miss on outfielders early, I would circle to try to get Benintendi on my roster. I think that's a, a solid option to uh, to have as a, a deeper outfield choice if you really need to fill up some outfield spots. But for me, I'll take Yoshida and the gamble that comes with Yoshida at, at this point in time. All right, let's do a couple late targets here. Uh, what are a, a couple outfielders you're targeting between ADP 300 and 400 later on in drafts? Yeah, I like the 300 to 400 area a lot more than the 400 plus, which probably isn't isn't too surprising. Um, I think there's a number of players going in this range that can contribute in, in different ways. Um, you know, Mike Yastrzemski on, on the Giants, you know, from a power perspective, I think he's one of the later power bats that you have. Um, you know, Trent Grisham um, as well could be, um, could be useful, um, you know, um, as kind of an everyday uh, player with the Padres. Um, I, re I really like Avi Garcia. I mentioned him before. Um, you know, we were drafting him a lot higher last year. I think the question is whether, you know, whether you think he can kind of mentality-wise get back to where he needs to be um, with, with, uh, with the Marlins. Um, Jose Siri, I mentioned before, I also like a lot. You know, there's obviously you have to have a little bit of a batting average cushion to add him to your team. But if you're able to do that, um, he's the starting center fielder for Tampa Bay. The glove is going to keep him on the field for better or worse for your for your offense. But I think he can be a 15-15 guy over the course of a full season there. Um, Kike Hernandez, uh, I like a lot. Um, he's got the outfield. He should get the shortstop eligibility soon. And so I think that's a really nice thing to have on your bench. Um, you know, a guy that you can kind of plug and play in good matchups and then um, uh, have him spot in middle infield or shortstop um, as well. Um, I think uh, Andrew McCutcheon, I haven't drafted him yet, but, you know, he should play uh, most days. And I think there's still a little bit of power speed there. Um, uh, Leody Tavares is interesting and Bubba Thompson is interesting a little bit. You know, Thompson's probably going to start there and then Tavares going to take over. Like we've been waiting for, you know, uh, at least I have for a couple years for Tavares to take that next step. I'm not sure he's really good enough. Maybe the shift helps him a, a little bit and the base uh, stealing rules help him a little bit, but I think he's going to be buried in that lineup. And, um, so it could be, it could be beneficial. And at this point in time, like you're not, there's not huge risk, you know, at the, at this range, but every pick is, is, is vital and, and important. And then with Bubba Thompson, he might be a nice guy to draft, like, you know, with one of your last picks and just have him in the lineup for those steals early on in the season and to see how things work. Miles Straw shows up as a really good, um, you know, uh, value here if he's the starting um, center fielder and, um, continues to play there, even though he's hitting ninth again, you know, maybe some steals and at least you're getting three plate appearances per day. Um, actually he's after pick 300. So I guess I'll, I'll stop there, but there's a lot of them in kind of the late two hundreds, early three hundreds that I think are, are pretty nice. Like, you know, um, Meadows, Hayes, Solaire, Thomas, Blackman, Fraley, Margot, and, and Gritchuk, although, you know, you have to be worried about the injury there. Those guys going kind of late, 200s are also showing up as pretty nice values there. So I think this is a nice actual spot to get an outfielder or two um, for, for your roster. And it's also, yeah, I'll stop talking now.
No, it's 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 it just proves that this is why you can kind of wait if you either don't get any or get a couple and then kind of go like why well, I had all pitchers and outfielders from eighteen around eighteen on why you took your all your outfielders late. You can piece it together here like post three hundred. I like Oswaldo Cabrera for the Yankees. Now it looks like he'll be getting a starting gig. I think he's fun. Adam Duvall starting in Boston. I love you, Strimsky, <laughs> like you mentioned. Obviously, I have a sell who I drafted over the the weekend. Jose Siri as well. Uh, just for the speed upside there. Enrique Hernandez is another guy I picked up. So all guys I obviously like. I love the Kutch call. I think there's a lot to like with McCutcheon. Um, you know, Josh Lowe, if you want to speculate, I don't hate it because he's playing well. And I think in deep release 12s, you don't need to speculate on Josh Lowe. You can wait and do the waiver wire there. But we might get another chance at a former top prospect uh, maybe figuring it out per se. So he'd be a guy I, I look at as well. But there is a lot to like in this range that you can um, – piece it together as you were saying throughout your draft like even you know some guys are liking Trent Grisham I'm not there but some guys are so something to think about uh 400 plus or anybody standing out to you here yeah I mentioned uh, Miles Straw I like him a decent amount I think Harold Ramirez is interesting mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how they play him he's obviously got the super high ground ball tendencies but the high batting average is really nice with a little bit of power. Like he's got the power in there. He just doesn't elevate enough to make that happen on a consistent basis, but he's got the first and outfield eligibility. So he's a nice little guy to have on your bench, maybe uh, kind of move in and out. Um, I think that I know like a lot of smart people are really into Lamont Wade. Um, I don't know. I don't know. There's a question about it. So maybe we'll dive into him later on. So I'll kind of skip over that. Um, I like Jack Sawinski. You know, he seems like a guy who's going to play and, and a, a late power bat. Like, if you look at his power potential, it's it's pretty far up there. Um, the Fire Eagle, Eddie Rosario. I haven't drafted him yet, but he's in the starting lineup, it looks like, and his eyes seem to be doing a little bit better. He's one to kind of keep a close eye on, I think, because it wasn't too long ago. It was two seasons ago that he put together some really um, phenomenal runs where you can have a decent batting average with some power and some speed as well. Uh, Kyle Isbell is one of my favorites. Um, you know, I don't know if he'll be like a full year type of guy, but I think early on in the year, um, he's had a nice spring training. I think he's going to um, have access to some playing uh, plate appearances um, early on in the season. I think he can uh, show a little bit of speed and maybe if he plays well enough, he can kind of stick with it there. Um, Robbie Grossman is interesting if he, you know, isn't part of too much of a platoon there in Texas. You know, he's only one year removed from a 2020 um, spot. So those are some of the guys for me that are kind of standing out. I think, you know, there's always players. What I would be looking at is like, okay, what is the first week of the season looking like? Are there guys that are here who are playing every day that have four games, you know, um, that first half week of the season to try to maximize play plate appearances there and, um, or looking at the following week, um, you know, for some good matchups there and seeing if there's any of the guys that you like in this range that that might be able to get off to a hot start because of the schedule they have. For sure. Uh, yeah, for me, like I like the Harold Ramirez call quite a bit. Um, AJ Pollock, I'm still a believer in as long as he's healthy. His second half was actually pretty good. Uh, Kyle Stowers is a dude I've been drafting everywhere I can for this power potential in Baltimore. James Outman, I love for the Dodgers. I just don't know if he's going to start the season with the Dodgers, but I think there's a ton to like about him, especially as that team's getting beat up by injuries and just overall production. So James Outman's a dude. I like the Rosario call since he is going to be starting, it looks like, which is a big plus uh, for him, obviously. 
Yeah, other than that, it's a lot of like what you were saying. Like, I like the Grossman idea, especially if he's going to be starting, you know, 542 ADP. It's pretty, pretty sweet. But a lot of these guys, it's a matchup situation. It's like a fourth outfielder that might get some run early type situation. Uh, keep an eye on them. But I like to have uh, maybe only need like one guy after ADP 400, like maybe none. Maybe these are bench bats. That'd be ideal uh, as you uh, head into the deep parts of your draft. All right, we got some listener questions. You guys came through with a handful of them this week, which is very, very nice and always appreciated. So let's kick it off with our, our friend Shelly V. Late round outfielders, Alec Thomas, TJ Friedel, Avisil Garcia, Bubba Thompson, and Nolan Jones. Who are you out on and who do you love? Is this a group worth the trouble, Toby? Um, I think it's a nice little group. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, I mentioned that I like, I like Avi as a guy who's – hitting in the middle of a, of a lineup and should play every day. And, and we've seen the skills previously. Um, you know, there's always question marks with, with all of these guys, but um, he's a nice one. I mentioned Bubba Thompson is kind of an early season guy going for steals while Tavares is out. And again, you never know what is going to happen um, after that. Um, uh, Nolan Jones, not really like the swing and miss is pretty, uh, pretty substantial. Um, and then I think, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't, I don't think so with Nolan Jones, but I could be wrong if he gets like the starting third base job with Ryan McMahon moving over to second or something like that. Um, it's wild that Mike Moustakas, uh, got a job yeah. um, on yeah. that team. So I think there are, are questions there. Who did I miss? Uh, two, Alex two, Thomas and TJ Friedel. Yeah, I think they're both really interesting. I mean, man, Great American Small Park is an elite place to play um, uh, with, uh, uh, I don't yeah, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, Friedel. Friedel. Um, yeah. Friedel. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, he's got the power, a little bit of power, a little bit of speed, a little bit of batting average um, in a great ballpark. I don't think you can really um, improve too much um, on that situationally. Like there's the platoon issues, obviously, which you need to account for, which I think is always challenging when, when a guy isn't like super skilled, like he's going close enough to Jake Fraley. And I think Jake Fraley is just a much better player, um, much better hitter um, than he is. So I think it's hard to see. Um, yeah. I think, I think that's a major question for me um, there. And then who was the last one? Sorry. Uh, Alec Thomas. And then Alec Thomas. I mean, if he hits, uh, he's been hitting leadoff, right? Like that's that's what the talk of the town is. Is that now, right? yeah. correct? Um, yeah. So if he's hitting, uh, well, well, roster resource now has Corbin Carroll up there. I think I don't know if he has. He like I think the thing for me last year when he came up was I just wasn't quite sure if he was good enough at anything. Right? It's kind of like you look at the profile. And it's like even last year, he had 400 plate appearances, eight home runs, four steals, 231. The batting average should be better with that K rate. Like I think the Babbitt's going to improve probably, you know, this year. So the, the average will go up. Um, projections range from 255 to 270. But there's not really enough power there. There's not really enough speed there either. And I think those players who are in kind of no man's land aren't necessarily – very interesting like there's just not there's generally not that next level there can always be differences but you know generally you need to have some sort of elite carrying skill and it doesn't seem like um doesn't seem like thomas really has that at this point he's still very young so things can change but 
you know, until they do, I feel like there's some outfielders going here that I'd rather have than him. So I guess I'd say I'm out on Thomas and then um, probably not too into Friedel and um, Nolan Jones. I think I'm out on too, but I like the other players that were mentioned. Yeah, Nolan Jones, I was all in on early in draft season when it looked like he'd actually get a spot with the Rockies. And then as the draft season went on, the Rockies started rocking, and that just made it difficult for me. Then the the final straw was the Mustakis situation. In a deep, deep format, I can still see a chance on Nolan Jones, but the love I have for him is not what it once was. Let's put it that way. So, yeah, I, I'm not there anymore. Bubba Thompson, I like definitely early on in the season when Leody Tavares is banged up. Uh, the speed speed upside there with Bubba Thompson. So I'm with you 100% on that one. TJ Friedel or Friedel, um, I don't mind in deeper formats. I liked it a lot earlier when he was supposed to lead off. Obviously, that's changed. So there's some questions there. But I think, that, like you said, Great American Small Park, it's the new Coors Field. So enjoy. Um, no Alec Thomas for me. Just, you know, what we saw last year. Plus, he's probably going to platoon with Kyle Lewis, who's actually playing really well this spring. And he, we, we know what Kyle Lewis can be if he ever finds it again. So I'll pass on that. Alex Garcia, I love. We talked about him. Uh, I want him everywhere. I think he's getting drafted too low right now. So, um, yeah, Avicel Garcia would be the guy for me easily in this group. Don't mind TJ. And I like Bubba quite a bit as well. So, Who doesn't uh, like a Bubba? Yep. Uh, hey, some people are crazy enough to like a Bubba. So it's, it's all good there. All right, uh, Drew at Fru underscore Dorte asks, which outfielder are the projection systems too high or too low on playing time? You have a sheet. Is it easy to find on that for you? Oh, man. Who are they higher, too high or too low on playing time for? Like if you believe Corbin Carroll, they have him for like 122 games. He's going to play many more than that, like probably 140 yeah. to 150. That, just, that stands out to me just because I was looking at him a second ago. There's probably quite a few like that, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I I would I think with like Carol though, most of the projections that are in there right now, and they may have changed um, with the uh, with the um, with the contract news. They they mostly have them for five seventy to five eighty okay. plate appearances, I think. Um, so, which I think is a fair assessment. Um, I think you know Lars Newbar is one that kind of stands out. Let me just see. You know, one thing to be very cognizant of is is as the project the projections are updating pretty regularly now. Um, you know, a couple times a week with at least some of them. And so, you know, and the playing plate appearances is probably what's changing significantly. So before he was in kind of the 400s, he's now at the 500 plate appearances. You know, um, he strikes me as a guy who maybe is a little undersold on that. Um, you know, like I, I feel like he's probably like the leadoff hitter against right-handed pitchers there. Um, and then maybe plays against left-handers like further down in the lineup, like that bat plays. I think it's pretty good. I think that that might be one where the projection systems are missing on him. And it's interesting. He's been kind of like the sweetheart, the darling of the draft season, but it feels like he was the darling of early draft season. And so it feels like he's now falling back where he was in the one seventies. And now it looks like he's in kind of the one eighty range. Um, so he would be a player that maybe the projections are a little bit lower on, um, that they shouldn't be, um, you know, it's a lot of like these back end guys, I think, um, geez, nobody's really like jumping out in my mind, honestly. Yeah, the, the projections of, they're usually pretty good. It's only like a handful of dudes every year that just really looks bleak. And that's if you stared at projections long enough to notice that pretty much. Yeah. 
but I do think it's a really good question because I think yeah. that can impact value substantially. Oh, yeah. we, we've talked about that before, that like adjusting playing time is kind of the game breaker between anybody's projection sheets because you can you, 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 you we all plug in the same sources basically, but then you start adjusting to what you think it is, and that's how you get your formulas based, like your projections essentially. Yeah, but I I, I, I never I don't really change plate appearances. Um, oh, one guy, one guy, you know, Miguel Vargas, I think is one guy oh, yeah, where, where they're a little bit low on it. Um, although it's gone up recently, I think it's close to, to 550 now or like 520 or something like that. It's hard to project, you know, cause the thing is like with plate appearances is you have to, it's the medium projection total. So if you have a rookie guy, you have to account for the, the, the possibility that he's not good enough and does poorly and, and get sent back to the minors. Right. So you have to factor all of those things in. Um, but like one exercise to do is, you know, run steamer 600 through there, you yeah. know, and see which guys pop out and who's, who's overvalued. So those are some examples. I think the, the real challenge um, is that I think at this point in time in drafts, we're all optimists, yeah. you know, we're all like that guy I love is going to be the guy this year. I love him. You know, we're going to, pump that up. And we really don't know, you know, like you may have guessed right last year. Um, if you're consistently guessing right every single year, who is that breakout player, then you don't need to worry about play appearances because you're winning all the time. Right. But, um, but I think it's, I, I trust the projection systems generally. And then I'll look at it. I'll, I'll buy pitchers. I'll eyeball pitchers a little bit more. Like a good example is like Clayton Kershaw. I think his projection for innings pitched is way too high. Um, I think it's at like 160 or something like that. I think it should much more be closer to like um, 125, 125, 130, 135, something like that. Um, then there are some players that are kind of like under projected. What I would do actually, like I think a, a, an exercise that I've noticed as I've been going through pitchers is look at players and then look at what the the, the projected total is. So for instance, like um, there was one pitcher, I can't remember who it was, but all the projections were at like 150 for him for playing time. He threw like 130 innings last year. And then one projection system had him projected for like 85 innings. And I was like, why is that? And it's like, oh, well, they may think that he's going to pitch out of the bullpen or that may be the analysis. And so in that particular case, that's one where I might override where I'm like, this person is very clearly the number four starter on this team. You know, he's thrown 130 innings. There's no reason why you shouldn't even bump that up a little bit because you know, players generally go up a little bit, you know, if it's a younger player, for instance. And so that might be an instance where I'd override and go to 140. And I think that can have a pretty significant impact, you know, on pitchers. And I think that's a useful exercise to do as well. Yeah, for sure. The other part of his question was, do we think Whit Merrifield gets back to 25 stolen bases this year? Yeah. Close. I think so. I think I so. I do uh, like Witt. Yeah. 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 He, I've been uh, buying I, into him more and more as draft season's gone on, especially without platoon concerns. Like it's, it's interesting there in Toronto. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think if there are, um, if he is platooned, I think it's going to be short side platoon. Obviously, he's towards the back end of that lineup and that kind of sucks, but they're aggressive on the base paths. Like that's the skill that he has. You know, the batting average, I've just got to, I've got to pull him up here. The batting average um, last year was, I think, pretty low. You know, I think the BABIP was much lower than it's typically been. Um, you know, 
I just think that he's, I think he'll be fine. And, and the risk is low enough, right? Like last year, he got 550 plate appearances and he wasn't playing that much down the stretch, right? Um, the projections currently have him for 500 plate appearances. Um, still steals range from, you know, 16 to 23. Um, and so at 500 plate appearances, I have Whit Merrifield. He's under second base for me. Yeah. So, um, I have him. He's 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 way undervalued, I think. Yeah, I have him as player 169. He's going in the low 200s. So pretty significant, you know, value there. And that's only at 500 plate appearances. So obviously there's downside. You know, if he gets replaced, if he's he's not that great of an out, he's not that great of a fielder. And so if he's not hitting or doing what they want him to do, maybe they give an opportunity to somebody else. I think that's a pretty low. Uh, range in in the range of possibilities, but there's also the possibility that he gets hot, you know, and he's on base a lot more, and and he's stealing, and they're aggressive, and he's hitting at the back end of that lineup, and then he's got Springer, Bo Bichette, Vlad, you know, Varsho, everybody else kind of following that, and so um, I think there's a wide range of potential outcomes, and that's why he's at 500 plate appearances, but still a pretty significant value there. So I, I do like him. Yeah, I'm starting to like him quite a bit. I could see 25 steals. I think the biggest concern for me is he's like 34. So he's getting old. Like, when does that clock finally tick, you know, strike midnight situation? But I'll take my chances. I think there's a, there's a lot to like there. And, you know, what's to say he couldn't get 550 to 600 at bats when he plays every day again? Like, it, it could be fun. So I think it's definitely an option. Uh, Andy Splinter says, super late outfielders. Uh, Brian Anderson, he had an 8% blast rate in the second half. And Matt Veerling, a power speed combo. That could be in for more playing time. Veerling got traded to Detroit in the um, Gregory Soto deal to Philadelphia. So what are your thoughts on Brian Anderson, who you're usually a big fan of, and uh, yeah. Matt Veerling? Yeah, I am usually a fan of um, Anderson. I just want to know like where he's going to be playing on a consistent Walking. consistent yeah. basis. Yeah, I mean, I know, he's, I know he'll be there for sure, but um, – <laughs> But I mean, he does have um, some really good skills. Like he's a relatively high contact guy. You know, he's always struggled with a, a few too many ground balls. You know, but you know, in in the new landscape, maybe that's going to benefit his batting average a little bit. He's just one of those players that you're like waiting for him to make that one change that can really, really um, help him out a lot. But the batting average is typically, um, you know, pretty solid, like above league average. It wasn't last year. Um, but, you know, 249, 255, 261, 273 um, in years previous to that. Uh, the barrel rate is pretty nice, 9.7 percent, you know, 23 barrels last year. Max EV is distant, uh, uh, decent and he's getting out of that ballpark. So um, he also can be shifted around uh, the ballpark a little bit. Um, so I think those are those are some opportunities for him. Um, I don't so I don't mind that at all. Was there another player in the question? Matt Veerling with the Detroit Tigers. Came oh, Veerling. Yeah, I generally like Veerling. I, I, I have him on my um, on a dynasty team. I was all over him last year. Um, it looks like he's going to get pretty consistent playing time there. So, yeah, you definitely have the potential for that, that, that power speed um, that was mentioned. I think the only challenge is, like, the power hasn't necessarily translated. Like, last year he had 13 barrels, right? He was playing in a heavy offensive environment. He only had 13 barrels um, for his what six home runs, you know, and 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 seven steals. So it's one of those situations where I'm just not sure the underlying skills are quite that good enough 
Um, he did only have a 6.4% home run per fly ball. So maybe that's something that he can address. Maybe that's something that improves um, and kind of jumps that up. But typically projection systems are pretty good at identifying that. And um, they have been putting together a slightly better batting average, similar home runs, slightly more steals, which is probably accounting for all of the changes, the rule changes. But they see him as pretty much the guy he was last year. So he hasn't really been a target for me. Um, he was last year again when he was going like, real late in DCs and stuff like that, but probably a guy that you can kind of plug and play according to matchups and take advantage of that, but probably not somebody you're going to want to have on your team uh, all the time. Yeah. He's um, two concerns with, with Beerley. I like the, the talent, the player playing Detroit home games, not ideal, obviously, even with the stadium changes, I'm not buying in too much about that just yet. Um, there's chances he, platoons with you know his other teammate nick maton who got traded from philly could platoon in the outfield with badu or Kerry carpenter or someone like there's a lot of moving pieces in detroit still a lot of what ifs veerling's the best player out of most of those guys i mentioned so we'll see if he does get the main run but that'd be my biggest concern i don't mind him late if you want to take a chance in a deep format no brian anderson for me i've never really been the biggest brian anderson guy and now with that milwaukee situation I'm really confused on what's going on there with Brian Anderson. So I'll be a full pass on that one. Daniel Preppis has a fun question here. It made me chuckle because he has, what's the difference between Josh Naylor and Lamont Wade Jr.? And I know where he's going with this because let's just have some fun here real quick. You have um, Josh Naylor. Well, he doesn't have outfit eligibility yet, but um, Lamont Wade has an ADP of 438. I'm just going to speculate at the top of my head. Josh Naylor's got an ADP around like 180-ish, maybe 200 at the lowest. It's nothing crazy. So it's a big gap, big gap between the two. So I'll let you have the floor, Toby. What's your difference between Naylor and Lamont Wade before I get my Giants biasy? Um, I think there's a pretty substantial difference between them. Um, I think, you know, projection-wise, there's about 30 points of batting average. Um, between Lamont Wade and Josh Naylor. Um, I'm not convinced that Josh Naylor is going to be platooned. I think it's pretty clear that, you know, the kind of peak for Lamont Wade Jr. is um, being platooned. Um, so I think there's that. I think that, you know, Lamont Wade has a higher barrel rate, um, but I think Josh Naylor probably has more power potential than Lamont Wade Jr. because Lamont Wade Jr. Um, doesn't put the ball in play as much as Josh Naylor does, um, even though not Josh Naylor struggles a little bit with like a high, high ground ball rate. So I honestly don't see them being uh, equivalent whatsoever. Um, but I may be a low person on on Lamont Wade um, Jr. I know like some really smart people are are into him. So maybe he can replicate that 381 plate appearances, 253, 18 homers and six steals with a, with the dead end ball. Yeah. What I'll say about Lamont Wade is I like the upside of Lamont Wade, but playing time is going to crush Lamont Wade. He is going to be a platoon player. He has to stay healthy. He didn't stay healthy last year. It, it, there's a lot of things kind of going against Lamont Wade. He's fun. It's interesting, but I think he's probably a mix between 2021 and 2022. So maybe like a two, like projections have around 230. I could see 235, 240 is what I was thinking on, on a good year. 15 home runs maybe. Like It's cool. It's not bad. Not bad for his ADP if you can play the matchups, but he's tough to put in your lineup. Or Josh Naylor, I know I'm a biased here, but I love Josh Naylor. I've been big on Josh Naylor for a long time. I loved him last year. 
20 homers, 256, and 122 games. He's not going to get platoon a ton. They flat out said that even when they got Josh Bell. Like, they want him in the outfield. They want him at first base. They want him at DH. They want to keep him in the lineup whenever they can keep Josh Naylor in the lineup. So, uh, I still think 130-plus, maybe 140-plus games are in the bag, some other 20 home runs. Uh, counting stats will be good. It's it's If you just want to be simple about it, it's playing time. Playing time, Naylor will crush Lamont Wade Jr., and just in that alone, the counting stats will come. And like Kobe mentioned, the batting average will be much different. And just That's just not who Wade is. Wade is not a batting average guy. If he changed that, awesome as a Giants fan. Big fan of that. I'll believe it when I see it is what it comes down to with Lamont Wade. So, like, I think Justin Mason said it on a, a Giants preview I did with him. Lamont Wade's great if you only count his stats from the eighth inning on. That's when he's great. That's when he shows up. He's called Late Night Lamont is what his nickname is. So, yeah, problem is, is we count the first seven innings too. All right, a couple more questions here. Steve Brunn says, thoughts on Tyler O'Neill and playing time risk? We kind of hit on that earlier. You're on Tyler. My only concern is the playing time with Tyler. Um, so I think we kind of hit on that already, actually. Um, and then we have two questions in the chat I want to get to real quick here. One from Uncle Ted was – let me scroll and find it. Um, just because I know my answer, and it's one I've asked many people. Uh, Adelise Garcia or uh, Randy Rosarena or Cedric Mullins? How do you look at those? Oh, two? Randy Rosarena, easy. It's not even yeah. close to me. Yeah, it's Randy and then Adelise and then Mullins for me. Yeah, it's pretty. That's the way I look at it. So we'll see how that goes. And then the other question we have here: It's non-fancy baseball. I don't know if you pay attention to college basketball, but our buddy Britton Allen says, "Who is in y'all's Final Four and winning the NCAA bracket?" Real quick, I'll just say, Britton, I feel horrible because I haven't watched a second of college basketball this year. I used to watch a ton last few years. I haven't watched any at all. I don't even know who's like the favorites in this tournament right now. I have zero clue. Yeah, is is, is uh, Boston University playing? My alma mater are they are they in it? I'd, I'd say I'd go with them. No, um, you want to know something? Here's a here's a hack for the NCAA tournament. I know we all watch it and we're like, oh man, I know who's going to do well. I know who's going to do great. And some people probably do. But what I do is I just get like the Ken Palm rankings. And I just go through and look at them and I just choose whoever has a higher Kempom ranking. Um, or uh, there used to be a, a guy who would put out, um, he would do an analysis of like the percent chance of each team getting to different uh, places in the, in, the, um, in the pool. And I would just use that. I would just use that to, to figure it out. So what I would just do is rely on the machines or the people who are smarter than you to determine who's most likely to win and plug in that. Um, and it actually works pretty well and, and successfully. There you go. Problem solved. Simple. Simple as that. Spreadsheet. Toby's going to use a spreadsheet to figure out yeah, his bracket. <laughs> Just kidding. Always. All right. We'll wrap it up there. Outfield review in the books. Final thoughts, Toby, on the outfield position. Yeah, like I mentioned before, I think there's pockets that I like. Um, there's some some nice stuff late. There's some nice stuff in the middle. Some really great players towards the top end of the draft. We didn't even touch on Kyle Tucker, who I think yeah. is fantastic as well. That's my, one of my favorite guys. Yep. Yeah. So I think all in all, you know, an interesting position. Good luck finding five of them. Yeah, I almost did a Kyle Tucker versus J-Rod um, debate, but I want to start off with the fire flames coming out of this place. That would have been too much. But, uh, yeah, it's fun. The outfield position is good. We kind of gave our thoughts on it early. Uh, it's a, a deep position as always, but the – 
the depth and talent varies very much. So like know what you need, know how to build your team, good stuff in those regards. But uh, we'll be back with you guys next week to wrap up our reviews of our previews with the starting pitching position. And then the following week, Toby, you'll be in Viva Las Vegas. So we'll get you ready. The season is almost here, folks. Make sure you follow Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I'm at BD Entrick. This is Bubba and the BatFlip, episode 150. Catch you guys next time. That's going to wrap us up for episode 246 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast, edition number 150 above on the Batflip, our outfield preview. Thank you so much uh, for listening as always. Um, hope everybody's doing well out there. Take care and be kind to one another.